This week, American involvement in the war in Ukraine against Russia. I'm your host, Ed Gatens. I'm your co-host, John Delancey. Join us as we fall back to the keep, hold the center, and guard against the predations of the far right and the radical left. This is Raging Centrist. There's a lot to talk about. This is getting this is getting so serious, and um, First, I would fight and die for this country. I just want to make that very clear. Yes, and but I, to fight and die for Ukraine, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure as well. And I'd like to say that no matter what we cover in this episode, we could probably spend hours upon hours upon hours going over things, and we still wouldn't actually touch this topic. We'd only get into a little bit. But let, let's get into it, Ed. What, do you, what sure. are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? Well. Congress was viewing the appeal of Zelensky, and it was heartfelt, but also very politically and historically motivated. I mean, there were references to other famous speeches and events historically, and you knew he was going to draw on that to pull at the heartstrings of of Americans. Um, and it looks like we're going to be in there and i don't know if a lot of americans understand what like what a no fly zone is i mean it's not like a magical bubble just appears and suddenly you say well you can't fly there no i mean it's it's very it's it's very much something that we have to enforce the ukrainians have been adamant about this for the last several weeks and it seems like the pressure is only amping up um now i do know that dick durbin came out this morning and uh said that he pretty much was defending Biden, the Biden administration's stance on not having a no-fly zone. Um, he's doing that, though, because the pressure is so amped up on the White House to do something, um, to, to make some kind of proactive measure with NATO to put a dent in the aerial strikes that Russia's uh, inflicting on Ukraine right now. Um, the Mariupol um, incident is really what's pushing things to this, I mean, yeah. not just any singular incident in the city, but the entire city. It it doesn't even look like a human landscape anymore. Russia's pounded. It, it's very mission. reminiscent of Syria. Yes, yes, and they've actually made their way into the city now. I've heard that Russia's pretty much taking that over. They've beaten that city into submission, and the, this is the Russian way of war. You know, now they they thought that they could go in there almost blitzkrieg style, and I think there was some intelligence problems, maybe on Russians' end. And, and actually, we see that with the house arrest of the uh, the FSB head uh, over there in Russia, the head of their security mm-hmm. and intelligence committees has been arrested now. But outside of that, they quickly abandon their blitzkrieg tactics and they're going back to traditional Russian warfare, which is, you know, attrition. It's a war of attrition. Um, and you're longer. Gonna, longer. Longer. More resources required yes. uh, over the long haul of, of the campaign. Yes. And also... The humanitarian crisis because of that style of war is drawn out. You have a lot more attention and focus on the personal stories of individuals fleeing various cities in Ukraine. And also, I mean, it, it really allows us to connect with them. That's that's the it, main thing. That's the also, like, it really allows us to connect with them. And I don't know if that's really smart in that style of warfare, but the Blitzkrieg was not kind of working. No. Um, the Blitzkrieg, actually, not to get on a side topic here, worked for Germany because they were actually a little bit limited in their armed forces, and that's why they did that in World War II, which made it a popular move and was repeated a couple times throughout history with not, not much success. Um, that being said, uh, we had... Well, we had shock and awe. Yes, that's And true. that was a fantastic win for us 
Now, I do want to say this. Uh, from the start of the military engagement until now, it was less time for us to go into Baghdad and secure the city of course. Than, than it has been in the campaign now from Russia in Ukraine. Uh, I mean, I really don't support them in this, but I, I would be remiss if I didn't stress how much I don't believe that American troops and American involvement needs to be there. I don't like how the media is framing it. Um, I think there's a couple things that media is making a big mistake. One, uh, I know that they need to keep morale up, even for people such as us who are part of the war supplies effort. Um, but I don't like how the media is portraying this as something that, you know, where Russia could lose very quickly. You know, there's tons of problems. I think this is going to be a drawn out conflict yes. that uh, we're probably looking years here. I mean, realistically, if things were to just keep going the way it's going right now. Um, I don't see any pushback from China seriously for supplying Russia. Um, also, another big player, which is, has bothered me, is the world's largest democracy, India, India, is still doing business with Russia, purchasing their oil. And I don't know if you knew this or not, I just recently found this out in my research, is that India is Russia's number one military trading partner. I did not know that. No, I did not know that either. I know, I know. But India is an emerging economy, so... For them, they're going to look at the purchasing of resources from Russia less as support of Russia and more about bolstering their own country's ability to fight it out in the new economic platform that may be created after this engagement. That's exactly right, Ed. And uh, I think a lot of us have to stop seeing it, and the media stuff has to stop seeing it as an ideological war as well, too. This is more of a war of convenience, alliances to an extent... You know, I hear, you know, a line often that China's just looking out for their own good in the media. You know, they're, they're playing both sides, this, that, and the other thing. Well, it's always been that way. Even in allegiances that are, in, through history, through, historically, countries are looking out for their own benefit, even if they ally with someone, you know, or if there's some type of allegiance. And they always will. Yes. And look at NATO. NATO's purpose is protection against what? You know, attacks. They all benefit from it. You know, every country's looking out and for And it's own also game. to keep what was the Soviet Republic compartmentalized and in eastern europe yes far eastern europe and now that we've had the fall of the soviet republic and replaced with russia which is kind of not the soviet republic but kind of the soviet republic yes. soviet republic part two mm -hmm. i guess yeah. um so nato still held there was also a time when the yeltsin time where it could have been abolished we could have gone down that road, but we didn't. No. So now I'm wondering, too, if we are reaping some of what we have sown. We Not are. that we are fully responsible for Russia's actions, but in all things being taken into account, we moved NATO allies closer and closer and adopted more allies closer and closer and angered the bear. For years and years and years, Putin has put up red flags as far as his dislike of NATO moving closer and closer to Russia's borders. Um, I don't think that these were taken as seriously as they should have been in the geopolitical realm uh, as far as all the different countries and their dealings with Russia. Um, in the same light as well, um, the way we approached Russia, I don't think we really truly brought them into the fold. 
If you remember, no, you, you, you not at all. You remember, yes. During the nineties, Yeltsin, yes, everybody sort of liked him, but he was also looked at as someone with a drinking problem, almost farcical. He um, was a caricature he, of a Russian leader. Yes, exactly. And um, although I think there was uh, maybe some good intentions in the beginning, they quickly faded away. Um, especially since you saw the fast track of Poland and other countries into NATO during that time period. And then you have a young KGB agent watching all this unfold and getting a lot of, uh, what is the word for it, uh, animosity towards the West over this period of time. Um, I think there was a time where when he first came into power for his first seven years, there probably could have been some bridges built between us and Putin. Um, on the world stage, there's really nothing that Putin had done between 2000 and 2007 that was really a, a red flag you know it wasn't until the georgian invasion in 2008 yes. that things sort of set off when we realized all right this guy you know may use military means and and try to shore up his his country and his defenses to our detriment maybe we should keep an eye out on things during that period my point is between 2000 and 2007 there should have been a little bit more Oversight? Would oversight. you call it oversight? Yes. Of what we was took our eyes off the ball because guess what happened in 2001, September 11th, and then we were chasing after terrorists across the world. Some of them did exist and some of them didn't exist for freaking, what, seven, eight years right there and there. Well, Afghanistan's gone until recently. So, you know. And also, when you have that type of military action in the Middle East, it's very complicated, and we couldn't keep our eyes on everything all at once. No. Now, CIA is supposed to run everything and ha have this broad-based knowledge off uh, outside of American borders on our allies and our foes and our somewhat friends and people that are kind of unfriendly. You know, so there's like all different tiers that we're, we should be looking at, and we didn't, but we did. I think that we just had higher priorities and also because we were bringing down the hammer and chasing down terrorists around the world, we we didn't really have, Russia wasn't on the radar. They, were, they weren't doing anything, but also during that time, it also wasn't like they were building up militarily. It was a very slow creep. They mm -hmm. already had an enormous military force. So by the time that they activated that force, it had already been there just laying dormant, like a sleeping giant. Yes, exactly, exactly. So there was no reason. It wasn't like we just, we didn't know what they had. We knew vast their vast capabilities militarily, but they were sleeping giants. So they just weren't active, so we weren't doing anything. Yes. Um, would you like to talk a little bit about Biden and the optics of the war? on the domestic front like we've talked about okay. the geopolitical we've talked about russia a little bit we've talked about our involvement little pre and post um um our engagements in the middle east uh yeah do you want to talk about like uh how how it's being portrayed to us over here uh yeah again i, I mentioned it briefly um i don't think that the uh the the way they frame it as a battle of ideologies is correct i think it's more of a battle of convenience um, what countries can benefit from being on what sides. Now, you got to remember, too, that China and Russia actually want to rebuild the world order. They've said as much in the past. You know, so things more revolve around, you know, a, 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 an Asian... And they want to get off Euro, that petrodollar. Yeah, Euro-Asian thing and get off the petrodollar. Exactly. Um, 
that's number one. Number two, I'm not happy with the fact that you have the White House meeting with TikTok stars. Oh, my goodness. That oh, was just a debacle, to, wasn't it? To convey a message that the gas prices were Putin's fault. You know, I mean, really, the gas prices, if any reasonable American could actually know, and this is outside the war, and I don't mean to get off topic here. I'll make this quick. They were going up astronomically before all this happened, yes. before we cut Russia off. You know, their oil. That's right. You know, they went up $1.14 in his first uh, 13 months in office. Yes. And and it's not just a Biden thing, but it's heavily a Biden thing. When yes. you get into office and you stop the XL pipeline and you greenlight the Nord Street 2 pipeline, the one that he stopped, just so everybody knows, I'm sure, is ours. The one that he greenlighted was Putin running that into Germany. Yeah. Um, so when you make those types of policy changes, it's going to have rippling effects down the line. Within a year, Ed, we turn from energy independent into once again, dependent on other countries. Yes. That's what the Biden administration did. And I, I think that's a tough pill for the left to swallow. And I know they have their eyes on the prize, which is climate change. And I get that, but we can't just magically turn off all carbon-based fuels and all of a sudden we're all living happy and horse, you know, hunky and like, woo, everything's great and the world's not being polluted It has to anymore. be a graded yes. uh, decline. Exactly. Of in, it has to seriously ramp down and, yeah, there's going to be some ecological problems because of the ramping down of it, but not as many problems as these wars are going to bring us because we're going to constantly now see conflict over resources because he went down to Moderno and Moderno was just kind of like, eh. Yeah, I mean, come on. Now, we're actually you know, dealing with this. The Saudis turned us down, the too. The Saudis turned us we down, too. We have cut, our, like, the people... I mean, what's next? The Ayatollah in Iran? You know? <laughs> you know, like... They already don't like us. Yeah, I mean, it's like, <clears throat> you, it's, it's you step down, you, you went to Venezuela and you thought that maybe you would get some traction there. But not after all of the things that you had said and done to that country and that leader over the last several years. We, I mean, many years. Now, the Biden administration is so quick to tout the fact that there's like 56,000 permits out there to drill oil. Well, what they don't yeah. say that is that they've made it so difficult to jump through all the hoops to get the actual drills into the ground, even though the permits are issued. You know, we need domestic oil production. I'm sorry. You know, the left may not like to hear that. The climate people may not like to hear that. We need it right now. And you know what? If things get uglier and if this war gets bigger, the last thing on my mind is going to be actually the environment. It's going to be trying to live day to day, week to week, because we're in a conflict, a world conflict, which is what this is looking like. You know, if we would double back to the war here and say what's going on. I don't want to see that it would be the last thing on my mind because I am, uh, I think, a custodian of the world, a custodian of the earth. And I, I garden a lot, and that doesn't make me, like, very knowledgeable or anything, but I know that some of these practices are really bad for the environment. Um, and we need to maybe... Just like green technologies and advancing green technologies, which aren't there, we also need to advance oil production and it, the cleanliness of that production process. So if we could actually get that in the mix, too. Uh, and I think it's one of these things where there's just this huge rush to leave oil behind, but it's going to be a part of our world. We're still going to need plastics. We're still going to need various things that only oil can bring. I mean, I don't think these people even realize that the, the hardcore 
climate activists how much oil is a part of everything. Oil is a part of food packaging. It's a part of everything. So, I mean, to be honest with you, Ed... I, it is I, a part of all those things. It is. Uh, healthcare industry, huge contributor. Huge you know? in healthcare. So, so I don't know where they plan to lead us with that, but we're going to have to definitely work on that. I think that's right. Um, I don't know if you want to go back to the war real quickly or not and cover that. I mean, we kind of took a divertimento off into our policy concerning... It, it started with the, the war... And then it moved over into the green space because it has to be talked about because it's inextricably tied to this military operation that's happening. Mm. I don't know if I would like to revisit it, but I would like to say this. Please, everyone, pray for our president. Because if anything happens to him, Harris is going to be over there cackling oh, <laughs> another man. world leader. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I think also a lot of the bad guys, the bad guys in the world, are actually smell the weakness right now that's going on over here. I we know. have a very old president, and I'm not coming at Joe. Um, we have um, Camilla Harris, who I'm sorry, I don't see... She needs to be better versed before she goes over there. She needs to have a team that surrounds her and says, But she does do have this, a team. She's fired them consistently. This, There's a, probably a personality problem because the turnover in her office is ridiculous. And it's been reported over and over again. I was media. unaware of the churn. Yes, yes there is a churn there. Um, people are leaving. They just they have no control over the narrative there. I don't know what's going on. Um but, but you she, understand my cackling comment. Yes, I mean, she yes. goes over there and she, laughs maniacally no. about things that are not funny. We've had these are serious issues. We've and had, it's not a serious person. The comments about Ukraine is a small country and Russia is a big country, and the big country is trying. It's like, is this an elementary school student actually describing what's going on here? I, I, I don't. I'm sorry to she say was that. Just She's saying just, words, just to say words. Yes, yes. Um, and it was, I feel embarrassed for her, where. I think she. it would have been better if she just would have paused, got her thoughts gathered, and then said pointedly what she had to say. Like, we are going to stand with Poland. We are not going to allow Russia to come in here. That's what I came here to say. That's the only thing I really needed to say. And then she bombed the geography of where she was on which border. The Eastern, flanks, western, yes. north, south, east. She didn't, she didn't know anything. Look. Don't speak about those things. Just stay on target. You don't need to have a 20-minute press conference with this woman. What she needs to do is go in, give her three talking points, and then say, okay, I've said exactly what I needed to say, and that's it. And I think people would really respect that if she were brief and to the point. Vice President Harris has now made Dan Quayle look like a genius. <laughs> And on that note, I'm your host, Ed Gatons. I'm your co-host, John Delancey. Join us next week for some more topics. And remember to uh, like, share, and comment as well, please.